0: Good morning. Great to be with you again this morning. Uh, I say that every week. I mean it. I said last week, I miss you. I mean it. I still do. Um, It is really good, even through Facebook Live and through technology, to be able to gather together. So welcome this morning, all of you from the Rock Church and those of you in Squamish who've been visiting and joining with us on Sunday mornings. Great to have you as well. People from the Sea to Sky region I'm hearing from, Lower Mainland, across Canada. It's just awesome to have you with us uh, on Sunday morning, worshiping God and, and listening to His Word. So, welcome. We're really glad you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, you're going to want to open them to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 18. We're beginning a new chapter today. We're getting there. Uh, we're going to get through this uh, Gospel, I believe, this year, which would be really, really amazing. I'm going to get to that in a second. I've got a couple of questions asked you before we get to the actual test, but also one really quick announcement, and that is, is that, yes, we're in week 10 or 11, Now, I can't remember which it is, of this uh, uh, stay-at-home, self-isolate, not gathering here as a church. And so there is now talk about uh, gatherings opening up again, uh, schools, etc. We're, of course, aware of these things, and we're going to be getting a hold of you through email and text and also on our Facebook page this week to discuss with you but also let you know where our thoughts are on that about gathering again as a church. So be watching for that this week. We'll want to get back to you and and get in touch with you about those things and hear from you, please. So I want to start off with a question with you this morning to just get our minds into the flow of where this text, this story, this parable that Jesus is going to teach us today is going. And it's this. It's a question. If you could ask God to answer just one prayer today, You you had the opportunity to put up that one amazing Hail Mary uh, uh, prayer request. What would it be? And and, and with the expectation that this one, he's going to answer this one, and he's going to answer it quickly, what might that prayer request be? Well, I I think I I know some of you, and I, I think some of us would be praying for... Uh, Health, um, certainly, that would be something we'd want to pray for. Uh, Maybe finances because of work situations or various other things. And so that would be, of course, a prayer that might be first on your mind. But I'm thinking, as I was thinking about it this week, that many of you, myself included, would probably think at this point in time we might want to put up the prayer, God, would you please send us a cure or a vaccine for COVID-19 now? Anybody? (laughs) I I, got to think so. I I think I would. And and so what would would be the motivation for that? Why would you put that out there? Well, obviously, there are a couple of reasons. One of them would probably be that some of us might be feeling like, well, because there are people dying and uh, people getting sick. And and, uh, so we would want you, Lord, to send us a cure uh, uh, or a vaccine soon so that this would stop. People would stop dying and getting terribly sick from this, this virus and disease. Now, of course, you know and I know that that would be great to have that prayer answered, but the truth is there are many other viruses and things that people are dying of every day and every week. So that would just be a prayer request for that one at this time, which is important. But I think as I was thinking about it, and I'll, I'll confess this, maybe you're more holy and righteous than I am on this note, but from my perspective, I think the number one reason that I would want to ask that prayer or give that prayer or put up that petition and prayer to God today and hope he would answer it soon is because I'd like to get back to my life. I'd like to get back to normal. The, the, please stop calling this the new normal. It's not normal, right? Uh, but that's what I would like to get back to, is I'd like to get back to gathering with you and seeing with you on Sunday mornings and going for dinners and coffees and, and, and playing together and running together, going outside together, just getting back to life as it was. And so when you think about it, I, that, that's, come on, that's not a bad reason, is it? But it's, it's a little self-serving, right? And so I wonder, I've been thinking about that a lot this week, I wonder if that isn't a lot of what a lot of our prayers are about, right? Our prayers are put up to God so that what? So that we, we can get back to uh, seeing our lives flourish and back to a happy and joyful and productive life. So on one hand, not bad, really not, not bad things, but that seems to be the focus. And that is why we have these laundry list type prayer meetings, right? It's the same thing. We, we always do it. And I'm not, please, please hear me well. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But that's what we do. We come and we put up a laundry list of health needs. Someone else is sick. And we pray for that. We should. Please hear me. We pray for finances, for marriages, for relationships, all those things. And, and, it, and it just becomes very, very usual. And of course, we should pray for those things. But I want to suggest to you that, listen, th- these are these are temporal needs. They're temporary, but they're temporal, and they're for the here and now so that we can get back, all of us, to a good life, a healthy and prosperous life. And I understand that, and I think God does too. I'm sure He does. I think sometimes our prayers also with God are a little bit like this. It's a little bit like, you know, like the 21-year-old son or daughter who, you know, wants to go off and find themselves and backpack through Europe. And, you know, they're gone a month or two, and you haven't heard from them, right? And you're, you're getting worried, right? And then all of a sudden you get that phone call, you know? And it's like, oh, finally getting in touch. Yeah, yeah, I am. But, uh, hey, listen, guys, I uh, uh, ran out of money. <laughs> could, you, could you e-transfer me some money, right? never gotten that call, which I'm really grateful for. But um, is, aren't a lot of our prayers like that with God? We, we, we only go to Him when we have a real need like that. Um, I think that's our usual prayers. I think it is. And I confess that's often mine. I wait for that. And so uh, here's another question that I want to follow up on that, and that is this how honestly is your prayer life? How honestly is it, right? I mean, I I know you, I know most of you, and I think for the most part, most people in our church, we're we're just like every other church, every other Christian that I've known in my adult life, we're pretty average, pretty much the same when it comes to prayer, neither awesome or not so good. And and so I also know this, I, 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 I believe that most of you, if not all of you, you know what prayer really is, right? I mean, it, it, like simply put, prayer is just talking to God. You don't need a King James Bible and know how to speak like that. Um, you, there, you don't have to go through specific rules and regulations and modes. In order. Just, you just talk with Him. Remember what it was like in the garden for Adam and Eve? When, when God's perfect people were in His perfect place under His perfect and loving reign and rule? Every day in the cool of the afternoon, the Bible teaches us that God would come and walk with them, and they'd talk. <laughs> and, and do you think they had prayer requests at that time? Well, actually, probably not, because everything was perfect. So, what do you think the conversation was about? Well, probably it was like, hey, you know, hey, guys, how you doing? God speaking, right? And Adam and Eve, like, well, good, thanks. I mean, thank, well, we're doing great, actually, because of, because of you, Lord, every, every moment of every day we just keep we're, we're looking forward to seeing you again and talking with you today, because all we can think about all day is what you've done for us. Look at this. Thank you, God. Do you ever wonder what that conversation was like? I do. I think that's probably a little bit what it was like and, and their conversation. And so you know that. You know that you need it. you know that you need to pray. You, you know all these things. So let me ask you that question again. How's it going? How's your prayer life? Well, again, I know most of you. I know most of you are really honest. And I think most of you would say, yeah, you know what? My prayer life is lacking. I I got lots of excuses. You know, I got work. I got the kids. I've got this. I've got that. But it's lacking. I know. It's not where it should be. And I really, really need to do something about it. Maybe? Is that where you're at? Good. Honesty's good. So here's how that usually goes for a preacher, for a pastor, when you arrive at another sermon about prayer, because that's what this is about. I mean, usually how that goes is, is that, well, and you know me a little bit. I'm kind of, I think, a little bit of the inspirational, motivational, trying to, you know, get you excited about what the Word of God says and so that you will be motivated for what? For action, right? And, and, and that's typically what pastors do. When they look at this, they, they look at that, and they, listen, they have good intentions. Uh, they really do, I do anyway, to get you all psyched up again about prayer and get you, like, yeah, so that this afternoon you're going to go out there, man, and you're going to start praying over lunch. You're going to be praying all day. You're going to definitely set your clock, your, your smartphone to alarm at 10.02 every day like the rest of us, and you're going to pray that prayer, right? But here's the problem with that. I've discovered this. Here's the problem with that. It's, it's a little bit like the motivation that comes when you buy a gym membership in January, right? Yeah. Lots of good intentions, but it doesn't last. It tends to wear off. It tends to wear off. So what does a pastor do? I figured it out. <laughs> he points you to what Jesus says about prayer, and that's what we're going to learn today. What Jesus has to say about the goal of prayer. So, read with me. I'm going to read with you the first eight verses of uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, and then I'm going to pray with you one more time um, from our gathering this morning as we've been praying through worship and so forth. I'll pray with you one more time, and then we'll dive in and look at this beautiful parable. And He, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart by her continual coming. And then the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect, who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, <laughs> thank You so much. Thank You for, for the truth that Adam and Eve saw, and the truth is the truth today too. Thank You for everything that You provided for us. Thank You for Your creation, for this beautiful place we get to live. Thank You for the breath and the heartbeats that we have. Thank You for providing for all of our needs. And thank you, Lord, that, that you've provided a way for us also to just talk with you and just pray and ask you to help us. So, Lord, I just pray today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us. I pray as we look at these words of Jesus in this parable, this wonderful teaching today, that you would, you would instruct us, that you would encourage us about our prayer life, what the priority should be, how we can focus on this at every moment of every day. And see it in a whole new way today. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So let me show you again verse 1. This is Luke recording as a preface to this parable. He writes, And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so as I said, this first verse that Luke records, it's actually setting the stage and, and you, can, you can certainly see from the setting of this, Jesus has been teaching for six chapters now to his disciples because he cares about them. He's trying to prepare them for the future, for the cross and then the future after he has left. And, and you can tell by these opening words that Luke records who he, and he's heard these words from the disciples who were there. You can hear the concern, right? He's concerned for them. You see, uh, he, like you and I, the truth is, he knew exactly what lied ahead of, lay ahead of them. And, and he knows the future. He knew the future that was coming. He knew, he'd been talking about it, we'll see it in a couple of weeks, that he was going to be crucified, that he would die, that he would rise again, that he would ascend. And he also knew that that's great, that would provide for them their salvation, but he also knew when he ascended, he would leave them with the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples and plant churches But as we learned last week, Jesus also taught them that, yes, He taught them, last week we saw this, that the kingdom of God was here now, presently, in Him and in their midst. And yet, He also talked about His second coming and that the kingdom would not be perfected or fully realized until then. And so, that meant that they would live their lives in the not yet. And that's why He's concerned. That's the same place, by the way, that you and I are living in right now. We're in the not yet of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is present, but not yet fully realized. And so Jesus knew that. And when Jesus says He doesn't want them to lose heart, He knows it's because, listen, the not yet will be difficult. Anybody? The not yet will be difficult. But He has an answer. And his answer is always pray. Always pray. Remember those words. Remember those words. Now, some of you uh, will see in your Bibles titles over this, this uh, chapter, over this particular teaching, and, and it might be either the importune or persistent widow might be the uh, the title that's over it. Now, those are added, right? They're not in the original manuscripts, so they're added. They're good titles. Um, Importune is a a great word as it means, um, if you didn't know, persistent to the point of being very annoying, right? It's like it's persistence that can become very annoying. It's a little bit like, you know, when you're on the summer vacation, you're in the car, you're driving for four and a half, five hours to the Okanagan, and there's somebody in the back seat, usually very little, going, are we there yet? Ten times. Okay, maybe more. (laughs) It's annoying. It's, It's this it's this, right? And that's where we get that from. Well, the problem with that title, however, is, there's many problems actually, has been that many a sermon has been preached from the perspective and understanding that that's what we need to do with God in order to get our prayers answered, is we need to be importune, persistent with God to the point of being annoying. We need to just be like this widow is what the teaching is, and well, I want to suggest to you that's not it at all. I hope you know that, but people have taken it from that, and you might have too and be thinking that. In fact, what Jesus does with this parable and in this parable is what He's always done. He sets up a story that could be about real life. It's, it's like a real-life scenario that everyone would see and understand in that day and today, for that matter, and, and He sets up contrasting characters and principles so that we will learn the lesson that He wants to teach us And today about prayer, prayer. So let's have a look at the parable. Verses 2 and 3, and he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So we meet uh, our two characters, main characters, right away here in the story there is uh, this unnamed judge who's living in an unnamed city. Very, very typical par- parable for Jesus. We, we learn, of course, that he neither fears God nor man whatsoever. He doesn't respect man. So like all of the people, actually remember last week, all the people that were in the days of Noah or in Sodom and Gomorrah, he's just ba- basically living his life as if there is no God, as if there are no consequences about how he lives his own life, but also how he treats People. That's the way he's living his life. He has no respect. So, in addition, look at this. He he looked at his fellow men and men and women with contempt. Really, when you think about it, he thought of himself as above them, and and likely believed that if they were in his court or had to come to him for help, that they were probably guilty. Right. This seemed to be his general thinking. If he had to judge between two people, the, the the idea in that day would be he would likely judge in favor of the person who could buy him off. Right. Uh, uh, or, or could do something for, you know, quid pro quo for, for him in this relationship. And so that would usually mean those who were wealthy, who could afford this kind of payoff. So next we meet the unnamed widow who lives in the same city as this judge and the city that he presides over. So this is a huge contrast, really it is, and I think most of you know that, that widows in those days were the lowest uh, of people on the food chain. Um, it's a huge contrast. They were neglected. They were usually very poor. They were looked down upon. And so now when you look at, that, at what's going on here, despite that, despite her position and her status in the culture and in that place, she demands boldly of this judge every day, give me justice against my adversary. Big and important word. Remember that. So there's someone who's against her, she wants justice, but again, this this judge is probably thinking, look, you're a widow, of course you have adversaries, you probably deserve it, you're the guilty one here. So what does he do? Well, Jesus tells us in verses 4 and 5, it says, this is the judge speaking, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So, first what he does is he ignores her. That's the first thing we see in the text is that he ignores her. This goes on for a while. He keeps ignoring her, but then it gets to the point where he can't. He just he can't do it anymore. And he, and he goes on to tell us why he eventually gives us justice, and it's because she keeps bothering him. She's persistent. Yes, she's a persistent widow. She's literally a bother, an annoying woman who follows him around every day, pestering him, not only at his office, but on the street, in the marketplace, in front of everybody. She just won't give up. But he also says that she's been beating him down. Now, that, 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 that phrase in the English is actually one word in the Greek, and it's an awesome word, and it, it literally means that she's giving him a black eye. And so he, he's being made to look bad because of her, not because she's a widow, but be, because she's very effective at badgering him. And the way that he's handling it is like, he could, couldn't you just handle this a little bit quicker? Like, give her what she wants. Stop it. She's annoying you, and she's annoying us. And so that's his motivation. She's giving him a black eye. So listen, this is about contrasts, and so far we've seen at least two contracts, I think, contrasts, I think. There's the contrast, obviously, between the widow and the judge. That's the setup, for sure. And so what do you think they represent? I mean, besides a widow and a judge? Well, as I've already stated, widows in that culture were very, very poor. Um, they were outcasts. They were marginalized. They were the kind of people Jesus came for and loved very much. The judge, of course, was on the opposite end of the spectrum. He's uh, likely wealthy, and despite this judge's reputation, he was probably shown a lot of respect in the community despite the fact that people weren't really fond of him. But he had something that they needed, as we will see. And so Jesus wants us to see another contrast, a very important contrast, and I think you know what it is. It's the contrast between those who are oppressed and the oppressor. But there's another character here, isn't there? Another character. We we don't get to meet him, hear from him, or man or woman, but it's an adversary, right? And this is her primary oppressor, although everyone else is oppressing her too, but he's her primary oppressor. He's been relentlessly hounding her to the point where she's in turn started to hound the judge. And finally then. This highlights the contrast of what? Of power, right? It's the oppressed and the oppressor and it's about power. So yes, this poor woman represents all those who are oppressed and it is often those, listen, who are in positions of power who are the oppressors but also are the ones who those who are oppressed need to go to. No wonder it's a no-win situation on a lot of people's minds, right? These are the ones they must go to to get what? Justice. The word's used a lot in this parable. Look for it. So sadly, what we learn in this parable is that it's very true to life, isn't it? It's very true to life in that day and today. Come on. Things have not gotten better. It's exactly the same today. Those in power tend to look after their own and not those who are truly oppressed. So now, despite all this being true, in this parable anyway. The widow gets her justice, doesn't she? She does. So it's a good story. It's not over. She gets her justice. She found a way, her way. Her way was to continually bombard this man in public, to harass him day and night if necessary, and never stop, never take a day off from trying to force his hand. Right here commentators, and I'm going to suggest to you as well, is the literal crux of the whole story and leads to the key lessons that Jesus wants us to learn from this text and from this story for our lives today in the not yet. First, however, we must be very careful uh, because there are two wrong conclusions that people take from this text and from this story. First, Jesus is not suggesting that, listen, that you and I, if we want our prayers answered by God, that what we need to do is picket the gates of heaven. (laughs) He's not suggesting that at all. I mean, think about that for a second. Have you not at some time in your life been encouraged as a Christian that that is exactly what you need to do? You know, that you need to pray like this, and and that if you don't, uh, then you shouldn't expect God to answer your prayers. If you're not going to be persistent and keep up with it, if you're going to quit... Don't expect an answer. That comes from this teaching because it's not found anywhere else in the Bible and it's just not true. It's not the point that Jesus is making at, at all. I mean, after all, listen, listen to this. If, if it were true, then we should probably employ some of our other tactics, right? Maybe what we should do is we should let everybody in the church know and outside the church that we have this prayer request, and we've been praying to God for a long time about this, and we've been asking people in our church to pray about it, and you know what? The people in the church started praying about it, and then they stopped praying about it, and so what do we end up doing if we keep doing that? Well, we end up giving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our church, and God a eh? black eye. God doesn't answer prayers. I've been after him about this for a long time. So that's not what this is about. And that, that's sadly um, the way some people take it. Now I can hear some of you, some of you are probably, and, and you're listen, I, I understand uh, you're more a righteous prayer warrior uh, type, and that's awesome, we need you, I love you, uh, but you're at the point, and I can just hear the Scripture that you want to yell out to me. It's it's found in James chapter 4, right? You do not have because you do not ask. I can hear it. I can hear it. I've heard it before. Can I encourage you to read the rest of what James says in the very next verse? Because he says this, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's like I was talking about earlier. Some of our prayer requests, yes, they're necessary. Yes, they're good. But sometimes they're self-serving. The second wrong conclusion that many Christians and, frankly, pastors have made is to think that this widow is somehow a model of the principle behind seeking social justice in our world today. Once again, please, let me remind you of the context here. You and I, we the church, are living in exactly the same context as the disciples in that day. We are living in the not yet of the kingdom And so read that first verse again. Read it again, okay, the first verse that opens this up that Luke writes in verse 1 of chapter 18. Does he say, if you're losing heart, always protest, always picket, always harass, always vote, always campaign, always whatever? No. Always pray. And he is saying, this is the point that Jesus was trying to make in all of this, in this text. So, friends, I believe we can all agree. We can all agree. I mean, if you're in Christ and and you have a heart that's beating for the gospel and for what Jesus has been teaching you all your life and what the Word of God says, injustice is real. Of course it is. It's all around us. We all experience it in different ways, and certainly some people from various social and and racial groups experience injustice far more often and more intensely than any of us ever will. However, Jesus wants us to know there's a better way of handling that. So, let me encourage you. When, just like the widow life appears hopeless to you, uh, for either yourself or for those you love and care about and are concerned for, when, when we ourselves become victims or fall victim to oppression and injustice, unrighteous forces and powers, when it feels like there's no way out of this oppression and the pressure over us, when it appears that, there's, that all hope is actually lost, Jesus wants us to know there is a way out. One very important way out, and that's the way that he has provided for you and I and all of his children for that matter, a way to the source of ultimate power and righteous justice. The throne room of God. The throne room of God, and it is through prayer. It's through prayer. So Jesus is teaching us here that prayer is the countering principle which is the key to the Father heart of God. Persistent pressure was the key to moving this unrighteous judge in this parable, in this story, and maybe even in this world today in some people's minds. But it is perpetual, not persistent, perpetual prayer that is the key to the heart of God. And so obviously there is another contrast intended here. And so let's look at how Jesus concludes this in verses 6 to 8a. And the Lord said... Hear what the unrighteous judge says, meaning, learn the lesson. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. This is the key contrast, honestly, in in the whole parable. And the key contrast is twofold, but it starts with this, thankfully. Our God is not at all like this unrighteous judge. He's he's not at all like this unrighteous judge. I hope you know that, but if that's true and you know that, then this is not the way to approach Him either. He's not like that. We should approach Him differently. Our God does not require us to persistently uh, badger Him with the aim of twisting His arm, as if we could. No, in this parable, the unrighteous judge was... All of the things that we don't like about those who are oppressors and injustice in our world. He was unloving, He was evil, He was ungracious, He was merciless, and He was unjust. And whatever, honestly, that leads to, I don't know. But our God is the opposite He is loving, He is good all the time to everyone, He's gracious, He's mer- merciful, and He is, listen, perfectly just. Perfectly just. And whatever God is, He is infinitely, perfectly and infinitely. So He is therefore infinitely loving, infinitely good, gracious, merciful, and infinitely just. That's who our God is. So Jesus wants us all to know that yes, yes, of course we should always pray, especially when in this not yet of this kingdom life, we start to lose heart how often does that happen to you (laughs) where you start to lose heart? Man, lately it, it can be daily. Maybe for some of you it's been daily for a while. What does Jesus say? Pray all the time, every moment. So yes, we should always take it to Him in prayer. We should cry out to our God day and night. Talk to Him constantly. And then look, Jesus promises that if we will do that, if we we will do that, just keep praying, in, in this way, perpetually, He will answer our prayers speedily. Really? That's what He says. It's rhetorically asked, but then He states it. So now look. Look, here's the important part. In order for you and I to truly believe that, to fully trust Him in that way, then we must know and believe this. First, that yes, yes, of course, He is the righteous Father and judge who loves us completely. But you must also know and believe what is also true about who you are and who I am in Christ. Not because of anything we have done but because of what He has done for us. Look at the words here. We are the elect. Put aside your concerns about predestination. Don't. It, we are His chosen. We're His. We're fully His. He can't lose us. We can't get lost if we're in Him and we're in Christ. We are His children whom He loves and He deeply wants to hear from us always. Yes, even about our... Send money. Yes even that. And so, there's a contrast between this widow and you and I in Christ, isn't there? There's a great contrast. The clear lesson of the parable is God is that God is not like the judge, for, for God is good and gracious, and we are not like the nameless widow, for we are His chosen children. He would never treat us that way. But listen, we are like this widow in one way, in these not yet days. We have an adversary, don't we? We do. And I'll tell you one thing about this adversary. His main desire, his main desire is that you would lose heart and that you would not pray. So, if you and I truly get that, that we are not like the widow but instead are just like God's own son in his eyes, that we are his, that we are his children, that we have already inherited all of the riches and all of the blessings that Jesus has in the heavenlies, in the perfected kingdom to come. If we believe that, that he wants our best all the time and that he will give us the justice we desire, then listen, this is the key here. Then we will understand what speedily really means here And the rhetorical question, will he delay long over them? Speedily means that the minute our prayers are uttered, they are answered. You say, what? (laughs) I I hear you. I hear you. You, What? Because some prayers we've been praying a long time, right? Well, this is what he means. This is what Jesus means about speedily. So what if they're prayed and the answer we think is the answer is not apparent to us, like, in other words, not... Right now, the answer, we think, well, then you're missing this about praying in faith, what Jesus wants you to know. The minute you pray, listen, leave it to Him. Leave it to Him. Have faith that it's going to be answered, that it is answered, that He will deal with it rightly and justly. Trust Him, and then you know what will happen immediately? You will feel His presence you will feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You will feel His hand on you. And that's how He answers your prayer speedily. Jesus is always truthful. And that's what He means and that's what He wants us to see. Finally, the last part of verse 8, Jesus says this. As His conclusion here. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Interesting question. It's interesting because he's neither saying he won't find faith. He's not saying he won't find faith, is he? But he's also not saying that he won't find people praying, right? You would think this is all a setup to, will I find people praying? No, he says, will I find faith? So actually what's happening here is he's, he's concluding last week's text about his second coming. Notice it's not if the Son of Man comes, but when It's a certainty on that day. It's not an if, it's a when. It's certain to the day when the not yet ends and we enter into the fully realized kingdom where we will find perfect justice. And so that's what he's speaking about. And therefore, he encourages us again that when we begin to lose heart over injustice in these days of the not yet and instead always pray, Jesus is saying, I will find faithful people. On that day. That's the lesson. And that is also the other great contrast in in our world today and in our lives today, in this not yet, is it not? If you you can either listen, the choice is very simple. You can either lose heart, you can lose heart about your life and about God and about the church and about the gospel, or pray. It is a choice. So you can let injustice in your own life in this world wear you down, make you angry even to the point where you feel like fainting. That's another good translation of the word losing heart, words losing heart. Or you can always pray to your heavenly Father and have your faith strengthened again and again and again. So let me leave you with this, which I believe is actually the number one prayer that Jesus would have us all praying every day always. You all know that many of us, of course, set our alarms, so I've alluded to it earlier, at, at 10:02 every day, uh, so that at 10:02 every day we pray Luke 10:2. right? And, and you, you know the prayer. You know the prayer, right? I'll read it for you one more time. It's found in Luke 10:2. "The harvest is plentiful, this is Jesus speaking, that we should pray this to God, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. I've been praying that almost every day, reasonably faithfully, as many of you have also as well, uh, since we planted this church. But I read it very differently this week. In light of this not yet kingdom, fully realized kingdom, it's about the harvest, isn't it? It's a definite article there. It's about the ultimate harvest when Jesus comes again. And so then on that note, I thought, you know what, besides having a prayer at 10.02 every day. Maybe we should have one at 11.02. Because you know what Jesus said in response to His disciples when asked, how should we pray? How should we pray like you, Jesus? Do you remember what He said in Luke 11.2? He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And then He said, your kingdom come your kingdom come. You see the priority, right? It's like the garden, except they didn't need to pray your kingdom come because they were in His perfect kingdom. But praise God. First and foremost, that's the priority. Every day, just thank Him. Every moment you can think of where He's answering a little prayer or something just reminds you of how wonderful and awesome He is, just thank Him. Praise Him. And then look, look. Your kingdom come. That's the priority and the primary focus, I think, in our lives today, in our lives today, should be, Lord, Jesus, Father, cause your kingdom to come. Cause your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, ultimately, I believe this. If we really want justice, if you really want justice, and I believe you do, justice for the oppressed, the marginalized, the downtrodden, then listen, of course we do. You want that, I want that, of course we do. Then we want the kingdom of God to fully come. Because no matter the human effort, we are not living, we are living now in the not yet and not in the fully realized. And, And that means we need the power of God that only comes through prayer to see these things happen in the not yet. So as we go from here and from this time today, let me ask this important question in closing. What would change about your life in the not yet, in the present, if your focus is on the coming of Jesus again and the coming of His fully realized kingdom now? Think about that. What changes? What changes? Well, may I suggest possibly your whole prayer life? The the, the prayer life of our church? May I exhort you, all of us, church, to be a people who always pray and ask that our Heavenly Father would, would cause His kingdom to break out even more now in the not yet, but that, yes, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And make your, your kingdom fully realized. And Lord, would you do that speedily? Pray with me, would you? I want to recite 11 2 4 from Luke with you as we pray in closing today. Father, hallowed be your name. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father. Thank you for today. Thank you for this beautiful. Creation all around us. Thank you for this community that you give to us. Thank you for the health and safety that you've been giving to us. Thank you for the provisions uh, of the food that we have, the nourishment that we have. Thank you for the friends and family and relationships we have. Thank you that we can talk with you. Thank you for coming at this moment when I, when I open up my mouth and my, my heart to you and just want to talk to you, Father. Thank you for coming to listen to me and thank you for speaking to me, speaking to us. Your kingdom come, Lord. Oh, Lord, we need more of your kingdom. We need more of your kingdom now in this not yet. So would you cause your kingdom to break out even more, to grow, to expand, and and to do good work in this not yet? Yes, Lord, give us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread as you always have been. But Lord, we we need you to supply for our, our needs, our finances, our homes, our kids. Lord, we need those things. And so... We ask you for them. And Lord, yes, forgive us our sins. Lord, we know that ultimately we've been forgiven from the very penalty of sin because Jesus died for us and he's taken all of our sins on him. But Lord, we also know we living, while living in this not yet of the kingdom, we still are living under the power of sin in this world and the temptation of the devil who's luring us away, causing us to lose heart. So, Lord, forgive us when we sin. We know all of our sins are forgiven in Christ, but forgive us. Please forgive us. And finally, Lord, please help us to forgive all of those who are indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Lord, help us to be forgiving people. Um, And Lord, please protect us from the power of the enemy over us today. Help us not to get angry at you or at others about the injustice in this world, but help us, Lord, to always, always pray. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.